Thank you, Bobby Joe. It is, as we said, a great pleasure to have Dr. and Mrs. Phil Fuller with us today. They are um, precious friends, folks in whom we have utmost confidence and great leaders in our church. Um, they are the ones who gave us a call and said, um, what would you think about going to or coming to Virginia, first of all? And then the question of what would you think about going to Virginia Beach first? And uh, we are blessed to be your pastor. We are blessed to have a leader of this nature. And I would ask that you just put your hands together and give him a warm VB1 welcome as he comes to bring the word of life to us this morning. Thank you, Pastor Martin. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you. And uh, I cannot begin to tell you what a joy it is for Cheryl and me to be here with you today and to worship the Lord together and to sense the real beauty of God's presence. He is here. Amen. And uh, what a beautiful spirit is here. Um, in the Sunday school class this morning, we talked a little bit about this, and Pastor Marlon was kind to remind us that uh, Cheryl and I spent about three months of our lives, some of the best time we've ever invested, living right here on the weekends at Virginia Beach in the Parsonage. And uh, we served as pastors here interim at Virginia Beach First Church. Uh, our very first Sunday, I think there were 17 of us, and uh, that included Cheryl and me, and we were all gathered right up here in the front. Well, we didn't start there. Everybody was spread out through the whole building, but I gathered everybody right up here, and we just trusted that God had something good that he wanted to do, and I just can't tell you what joy it is to come here today and see the sanctuary filling up and to hear the joyful noises of a family of faith gathering and and it's just wonderful to be together in the body of Christ. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Sure. Sure. We give thanks. So, uh, you know, God, God is in the business of transforming lives. And one of the great joys about being a part of a, a body like we are, this family, this tribe of the Nazarenes, um, first of all, we realize that we're not the only ones that God is using to make a difference in the world. God's using all kinds of people who are faithful to his word and are living by it. But I'm grateful to tell you that God is still using the Nazarenes too. And he's in the business of helping us to help transform lives. And you have been a part of it. You've been a part of it through your prayers, through your ministry efforts right here and through your giving to others, through your giving to the World Evangelism Fund, and I want to say thank you for your faithfulness to give to the missions causes of the Church of the Nazarene. Um, because of your faithfulness, I understand that this year the Church of the Nazarene is going into a brand new country. We're entering for the first time into the country of Greece. Isn't that amazing? Wonderful. Now, it's interesting, we're going into Greece, but we're not going in with a church, we're going in with a compassionate ministry first. Isn't that amazing? We're going in loving people, and then God's going to help us establish the church there. But we're sending some, some scouting missionaries out ahead. Isn't that great? So you're a part of it. Uh, we're, you're sending money to the World Evangelism Fund, and we're taking care of sending money to them so they can be there doing that work and just be praying for this wonderful new family. And uh, then you've given to Eastern Nazarene College, you've given to the Pensions Fund for Pastors, and we have a whole host of pastors who have served Virginia Beach First well, who are receiving a monthly check because you've been faithful. Thank you for doing that. And then also, 
uh, you've given to the Virginia District Missions Fund or the District Unified Budget. And that helps take care of the expenses of having a superintendent. Thank you very much. Uh, you helped pay for my salary, and I'm grateful. But really more important than that, you have provided all kinds of camping ministry for all kinds of young people. We believe that in the last three years, something close to 1,500 people have given their hearts or their lives to Christ as a result of one of our camping ministries on the district. That's exciting. And then... Um, you've also been part of helping to start some new churches. And this is where some of the money that you've given to the district has gone and gotten invested. Uh, let me tell you about two of those churches. I could tell you there's about 28 of them that have been started in the last several years. But I want to tell you about these two especially. One of them is meeting in a little fire, a rented fire uh, hall, like the fire rescue hall over in the little town of Verona near Harrisonburg, Virginia. There's a stone quarry not too far, and so they've named the church Living Stone Church of the Nazarene. I like that, don't you? That's pretty good. And they've been going just a little over a year, and they've gathered a group of about 50 people already that regularly meet in their group. Their young pastor, Drew and Kathy Ritter, and their two children have just poured themselves into it. He's an architect by training. But God's using him for greater purposes, to build greater things. And now, just a few months ago, we had a meeting with their steering committee. They don't even have an official church board yet because they're still so new. But they have a little steering committee. And uh, we met together to talk about the future of the church. And, and the pastor who's doing his architect work and trying to do pastor on the side, he said, um, do you think it would be possible for the church to consider making me full-time? Well, now, see, as a district family, we'd been helping them a little bit along the way so that they could even have a part-time pastor, you understand, and we were making it happen. And you were part of that because you've sent some money forward and we've sent some on your behalf. And, uh, but we got to this steering committee and I said, well, if you want to move to full-time, then there are certain steps we need to take. And one is we need to find out how much money you have in the treasury. Let's find that out. And so they got the treasurer's report out and, and they'd been teaching tithing. They'd been teaching giving, and listen to this. This little church with about 35, 40 people already had $45,000 in the bank. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I think you can move to full-time now. And so we didn't have to support them anymore. Matter of fact, we hadn't been supporting them for some time at that point. And now one of the churches that you helped start already has a full-time pastor. Isn't that great? That's awesome. So thank you to you for giving. Thank you for your generosity. <clears throat> And then uh, last Easter, um, we have a brand new church that started. It hasn't even been a year. Pastor Chip Dandridge and his wife, Mary, uh, had a little core group that was part of a church. And with the pastor's blessing, they went back into the city of Richmond and have started a church that's intentional about reading, reaching people in the city. And they want to intentionally be very open to all kinds of backgrounds and races and so they're just a, a multicultural, intergenerational kind of gathering. And so Cheryl and I went to visit uh, just before Easter last year. And we got there and, uh, um, well, we were the oldest ones in the crowd. Everybody else was in their 20s and 30s. And the pastor was preaching and he was on fire for God. And at the end of the service gave an invitation and half of the congregation came forward to pray about spiritual things. 
and God was moving in their midst. And on Easter Sunday, they had a hundred people in their worship service as a brand new church. Isn't that exciting? And you've had a part in them too. Matter of fact, we're still helping them out a little bit as we're getting them on their feet and they're doing so well. And they just moved to a brand new location that they were able to be a part of in a new school in a new part of town where they needed to be and wanted to be. So God's doing some great things. I have so many stories like that. I don't have time to tell them all, but I want to say thank you. There is a spirit of generosity that exists here at Virginia Beach First. Cheryl and I felt it when we were here. I sense it today. Um, I thought there was an interesting connection to the peepers. Um, You may or may not know this story I'm going to tell. But when I came and was here during July of three years ago, there were just a few of us, as I said, and I realized then something that I know is true today, and you know it's true today. When you're in financial difficulty in a local church, don't get your eyes on yourself, get your eyes on God and his purposes. And it was about that time that your mom and dad had come down to Chesapeake and were helping to start a new church called Chesapeake the Branch Church. It's over way on the western branch part of Chesapeake. They meet in a hotel over there, and they're doing a good job, small group, but it's getting started. And they're over there, but they were just getting started back then. And one of the things we did as a little group, by the way, did I tell you there were just 17 of us? Huh? Did I tell you that back then the mortgage payment here was twice what it is today? Did I tell you that? Did I tell you that we had all kinds of expenses we didn't know how to care for? But you know what I challenged the people to do? I said, let's give to a new start, Pastor. I think God will bless it. And do you remember it, Diana? We did it. We collected up gift cards. We asked everybody to go to their favorite restaurant and get their favorite gift card for a meal or something. And do you know that we presented to your mom and dad $400 worth of gift cards way back then? And it's kind of neat that today we have an opportunity to bless you by praying for you and your family. I think God blesses that kind of generosity, don't you? I, I don't think there was ever a connection necessarily that meant that we did that, you do this, this happens now. It's just the way of God, right? God honors that kind of generosity. And I just want to say thank you to Virginia Beach First for your generosity of heart and spirit. And there's one more thing I want to do before I start into the message. Um, I was reading uh, this scripture in uh, 1 Thessalonians. It says this in chapter 5. It says, um, Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. That would be our pastors, right? It says here, Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work and live in peace with each other. God has blessed Virginia Beach First with an amazing pastoral family. Marlon and Bobby Joe King are God's very best, and we are so grateful to God that he, in his provision, put them together as a family, that he called them and saved them and set them apart for his work, and then in obedience to God, they said yes to his call that when they said yes, they probably didn't know it included Virginia Beach. And when they first found out about Virginia Beach, all they wanted to know was if it was God's will or not, right? And when they found out it was, they came willingly and joyfully, and what a difference they have made. So here's what we're going to do. I want them to come and stand right here in front, right on the ground floor, right there, and stand and face this crowd together. 
and you can hold her hand. It would be all right. Yeah, yeah. You can even put your arm around each other. All right. Now, aren't they just beautiful? Aren't they just wonderful? Amen. Now, now in Sunday school, we talked about, you know, everybody has an equal part. But I, as their superintendent, I feel like I have this special honor to help you honor them for just a moment. We're not honoring them above anybody else. We're just honoring them for the fact that they lead us, all right? And here's what I want you to do. My grandmother told me never to point at anybody, but I'm going to ask you to get your pointer finger out. Would you, everybody get your pointer finger out, all right? You got it? All right, now, I want you to do this and, and kind of point at them like this and say, we hold you in high regard. Way to go. Try it, okay? Let's do it together. We hold you in high regard, way to go. Now, I saw some of you, you were doing this. We hold you in high regard. All right. Now, that was pretty good. You guys did pretty well. But every one of you has a little intensity knob, all right? Now, I want you to notch up the intensity just a little bit, all right? And we're going to do it again, and you can kind of point that finger with joy, all right? It's an arrow of love you're sending to him, all right? So let's try it one more time. Here we go. We hold you in high regard. Way to go. All right, now that's very good. Now, here's what we're going to do. If you're able to stand up, I want you to stand up, turn the intensity up just a little bit, and now, Pastor and Bobby Joe, I want you just to receive. You always give. So you don't get to participate in this. And wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm coming down there because I'm with y'all in this. And I know you can clap around here. I heard you. And when we get done with that way to go part, if you just want to cut loose and give God some glory for people like this who serve faithfully, that would be all right. You get my hint right there? All right. Okay, so let's do it. You got your pointer finger? Here we go. We hold you in high regard. Way to go. Woo! Amen, amen, amen. Let me pray a prayer blessing over them just real quick. Father, I do thank you for Pastor Marlon, Pastor Bobby Joe, for their dedicated service and their love, their obvious love for God, their obvious love for people, their obvious love for the word of truth, and their obvious gifts of leadership. Bless them, we pray, and bless their efforts. Thank you for them. Thank you for their genuine humility and their genuine service. And I pray that you would honor them with success by your definition, the success of significance and of transformed lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen, amen, amen. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, I do feel like uh, the Lord would have me share a word, and uh, I probably should do a better job from time to time of keeping notes where I may or may not have shared a message before, and I don't remember, honestly, if I've shared this here. But it's kind of like a good song. If it's a good message, you ought to preach it over every once in a while. And even if I'm preaching this over and you've heard it before, maybe you'll still say amen at the same good spots, all right? And then the truth is, I know the Lord's got something new in this for me today, so there's a new ending to it, even if you've heard the first part before. Um, 
I could probably just be done with two words, probably. I could probably just say these two words and we could go and have lunch. Uh, that's probably as simple as it would need to be. And the words are these. God provides. Okay, let's go home. Sermon's over. I mean, that's it, right? God provides. And, but maybe I better explain what I mean by that just a little bit. Um, I was reading through the Gospel of Mark. I had been reading through the Gospel of Mark kind of repeatedly. It's like I would read from chapter 1, verse 1, read all the way through, and then when I got to the end, I'd just start over. And that was my devotional time for about three months. I just kept reading the Gospel of Mark. So if today I read three verses, tomorrow I might read three chapters. It didn't matter, just whatever. I would just kind of keep saturating in that. And on about the third or fourth reading through during that three-month period, I stumbled on something that I had never seen before, not in my days at, at college, not in my days in seminary when I was preparing for ministry, and not in all the years that I'd been preaching that I noticed this. And the story begins in chapter 6, where I want to pick up, and there's a story there. And if you'll allow me, I don't want to read this all here right now, but I just want to tell you the story. Although we need to read the first part, it says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught, in verse 30 of chapter 6. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Jesus said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot. And when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them. Jesus had compassion on the large crowd that he'd been teaching because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And by this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. And the disciples said to Jesus, Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, well, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much money on bread and give it to them to eat? And Jesus says, essentially, what have you got? How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, we've got five loaves of bread and two fish. Remember that, five and two, all right? And then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves. How many were there? Five loaves and two fish. And looking up to heaven. Now, I've got to make this comment here. When I usually pray over my food, I usually bow my head and close my eyes and look down. But I like the way Jesus did it here too, right? He took the bread, looked up to heaven, and said, thank you, Lord, for this. <laughs> I like that. That's not a bad way to pray too, right? And if Jesus did it, it's sure good enough for me, all right? So looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them. In verse 42, Here's the miracle. Are you ready? They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of men, for some reason they only counted the men, 
So it was probably men plus an equal number of women and children, but the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. God provides. huh? So let's do this math real quick. Jesus says, feed them. And the disciple says, that'd be expensive. And Jesus says, what do you got? And the disciple says, uh, we've got a happy meal, kind of, basically, right? We've got five loaves and two fish. And, and Jesus blesses it and gives it to them. And 5,000 plus people eat off of one little happy meal. God provides. That's what he did. And uh, it's an amazing thing. Because sometimes all we can see is what we don't have. And in the case of the disciples, that's all that they could see. And they, all they could see was that they didn't have anything. And all they could see was there's no good place to go get something to eat. And the local grocery store is too far away. And even if we could go there, it's going to cost us $60,000 to feed all these people. We don't have it. So God provides. Amen. And that would be a great message right there. We could just stop and say, you know, God's going to provide for whatever you got, and that's that's be a great message. It really would be. There's something about this story, though, that really captures me. And uh, I want to just say this. Um, to me, whenever you have a good worship service like Jesus gave this day, where he gave good preaching and good teaching, so much so that the people were coming from all over the place, and then they followed him, and that was kind of like church with Jesus. Wow, that would be awesome, Right? And so they have church with Jesus, and it's probably on a Sunday. Can we give it, like, it doesn't say that in there, but let's just say it was a Sunday. And, uh, and on Sunday, God provided this miracle. So that's pretty awesome, as far as I'm concerned. That really kind of a message all preaches itself, and there's in chapter 6 this beautiful story of God providing this meal for these 5,000 people. Now let's do the math again. There were five loaves of bread, and it fed 5,000 people, and there were how many baskets full? 12 baskets full left over. All right? That's awesome. God is awesome. That's a big miracle. All right? So then I was telling you, I was reading the Gospel of Mark. So you read chapter 6, and you keep reading, and then I was reading on, you know, about Jesus walks on water and the clean and the unclean, and then I was reading the faith of the Syrophoenician woman, and then the healing of the deaf and mute man, and then I come to chapter 8. And I started reading in chapter 8, verse 1, and it says, During those days another large crowd gathered, and since they had nothing to eat, does this sound familiar to you, by the way? Jesus called his disciples and said, I have compassion on them. Does that sound familiar to you? It sounds like almost the same story. And matter of fact, when I was reading, I said, wait a minute, I think I read that story. And then I realized I had read that story. But this was another story. And I said, I have compassion for these people, for they have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I'm thinking, "Uh uh-oh, what's going on? And if I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. And this, we don't know how much time happened between chapter 6 and verse 8, but I'm going to suggest to you this was another Sunday with Jesus. Hello? Another Sunday with Jesus. And uh, Jesus is preaching, teaching, and he says, His disciples answered, uh, you know, Jesus says, I want to feed them. I have compassion on them. I want to feed them. 
And his disciples answered. It's, not, it's the same group of disciples. They, they had the same thing. But where in this remote place are we going to find enough bread to feed them, huh? There's no food line here. There's no Kroger. What's your grocery store around here? Food line? There's no Farm Fresh. Yeah. Yeah, there's no 7-Eleven even, you know. There's no Wawa. Uh-huh. There you go. And what did Jesus say? How many loaves do you have? And this time, in verse 5, it says they have how many? Seven. Seven loaves. A happy meal and a half. Huh? And he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. And they had a few small fish as well. And he gave thanks for them and told the disciples to distribute them. Now, look at verse 8 of chapter 8. The people ate and were satisfied. And afterwards, the disciples picked up seven baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. And about 4,000 men were present. Okay, an equal number of men and women, whatever. So it's a big crowd. And so another miracle happened. Well, let me just say it to you this way. God provides. Now, this particular time, they had how many loaves? Well, I need two hands. Seven. And how many people were fed? 4,000 plus the men and children. And how many baskets full were left over? Seven. Okay, so let me ask you this. The first miracle was five loaves, 5,000, 12 baskets full left over. Is that a miracle? Absolutely. Did God provide? Absolutely. Okay, this one is seven loaves, 4,000, seven baskets full left over. Is this a miracle? Yeah, I'm not real good at math, but that's a miracle too, right? They're both miracles. God provides. And I'm suggesting to you that the first time that that happened, that was a Sunday, and the disciples were with Jesus that day. And then I'm suggesting to you that a few days later, I think it was another Sunday, the same disciples saw Jesus do the same thing, and they asked the same dumb questions. And God did another amazing miracle because God provides. He does. Now, I say all that to say what I'm about to say because it's the next part of this story that is the most amazing part of this story. So, it says in verse 11 of chapter 8, well, wait, back up into verse 9. It says, about 4,000 men were present, and having sent them away, Jesus got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. So Jesus got on a trip, went somewhere. Probably took him at least a day or two or three. I don't know. It doesn't say, the Bible doesn't tell us. But Sunday was passed. They had their Sunday meeting, and they had their Sunday miracle. And the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I mean, Jesus had just done two of them, right? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them and got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. Jesus is going here, going there. He's going all these places. Time has passed. So let me just set this again for you. You have one Sunday, 
or Jesus having dinner on the grounds after church. And he takes five loaves of bread, feeds 5,000, 12 baskets full left over, God provides. Yay. Woo! And the disciples see it. Let's go to another Sunday, a couple weeks later. Jesus has another great worship service, dinner on the grounds. And uh, this time it was seven loaves of bread, 4,000 people, seven left over. God provides. Woo! Yay, God. Disciples saw that too. Now Jesus goes with the disciples some other places. He goes here, he goes there, interaction with the Pharisees. And I'm going to suggest to you that the next verse happens on a Tuesday. Because we all have Tuesdays in our life, and this is what the disciples experienced on their Tuesday. Here it is. Look at verse 14. This is the most powerful, amazing story I think I've ever read in the Bible. It says, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. Now, isn't that the craziest verse of Scripture ever? These are the same disciples that had just been with Jesus right here. Are you guys with me? Hello? They were there. They saw what Jesus could do with just five loaves. They saw what Jesus could do over here when he only had seven loaves and he fed all those people. And the very next verse of scripture says the disciples forgot to bring bread. This is a real problem for the disciples, right? Now let's finish reading it because the craziest thing is the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf. They had a loaf of bread, Brother Bob. They didn't not have bread. They just had one loaf of bread. But I don't know about your math, but what about this math? Five loaves, five thousands. Seven loaves, seven thousand. One loaf, thirteen. No problem for Jesus, right? But it was because it was a Tuesday. And they were feeling it on Tuesday. Because the disciples, listen, Jesus warned them. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And and listen, the disciples discussed this with one another. Is it because we have no bread? I'm thinking, disciples, you have a loaf of bread and you've got Jesus. You don't have a problem. But in their minds, they had a problem. So Jesus says, verse 17, aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? (laughs) Jesus, isn't he amazing? (laughs) Why are you talking about having no bread? Listen to this. Now, these are some of the toughest questions Jesus ever asks anybody. He says, do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? And then Jesus says, this is my paraphrase, kind of. Weren't you there that Sunday when I took the five loaves and fed the 5,000 and we had the the leftover basket full. And Jesus says, how many baskets full were left over? In verse 19, the disciples say, 12? It's important that they say it there because it's a, it tells us they remembered. They were there. They witnessed it. They saw it. And then Jesus says, and then weren't you with me that other week on that Sunday when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up that time? And they said, 
seven because they remembered. And then Jesus, this is the most difficult question he ever asks anybody. Do you still not understand? Ooh. So, five loaves, five thousand, twelve baskets full left over. God provides. Ooh. Seven loaves, four thousand, seven baskets full left over. God provides. Woo! <laughs> but those were Sundays. And I looked at my calendar just before I came up here, and I got a Tuesday coming. <laughs> you ever have Tuesdays? You ever have Tuesdays where you feel a little bit like the disciples. You were there. You saw God provide. You were there. You saw God provide. But all of a sudden you get in the boat and all you can think of is, we ain't got nothing. We, don't, like we got a loaf, but we got nothing. But when you have one loaf and you got Jesus, God provides. God provides. Huh. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. <laughs> you know, one of my jobs is, uh, is as district superintendent is to help provide pastors for churches when they're in pastoral transition. Um, and one day, I had gotten a phone call. I think it was a Tuesday. I think, I think it was, okay? I got a phone call from an, another pastor who had resigned, moving on. And I remember, we, Cheryl and I were in the car, and I remember driving, and I remember leaning over to Cheryl, and just kind of came out of me. And I remember saying, where am I going to get pastors for all these churches? Huh? Like it was my job to do that, right? And Cheryl didn't say anything. She's generally kind of quiet anyway. But we got home, and we closed the door from the garage, and, and just kind of uncharacteristically, Cheryl kind of took her finger and pointed right at me and said, I want to talk to you about your faith. And I was like, oh, who took my wife? What's happened here? And uh, I said, well, what did I do? You know? And she said, what do you mean, how am I going to get pastors for all those churches? And then Cheryl pulled a Jesus on me. She said, don't you remember how God helped you in Roanoke to get a pastor? And don't you remember how God helped you up in Loudoun Valley to get a pastor? And don't you remember how God helped you over in Richmond to get a pastor? 
And I said, yes, I remember and stop already. (laughs) I get it. God provides. God provides. And here's the thing. We tend to think of what we have to offer as nothing. We got nothing. We don't have anything. Even though we have something. It, we're kind of like the disciples on that day that they're in the boat, they have a loaf and they have Jesus and they only have to feed 13. And they witnessed that miracle and they witnessed that one. But on that day, all they could see was their limited supply. And I'm here to tell you that God provides on Sundays and on Tuesdays. Amen. He's in the business of providing. I love being with God's people on Sundays. There's something about being with God's people on Sunday and being surrounded by testimonies and like the praise rock thing. I like that. I like that business. I loved hearing your testimonies. And and I, I just get excited about it. It helps me. It's like being there when Jesus feeds the 5,000 and the 4,000. It just helps me get it. But I can't live here. i got to go out there into the mission field where God wants me to be. And then there's a Tuesday out there. But I think God sent me here today to say, God will provide even in your Tuesday. He provides in your Sundays and he provides in your Tuesdays. And that God's grace is sufficient for you. And here's where the turn is for me. After you read this story in Mark, it's interesting that we're talking about Jesus saying, you know, don't you remember? Don't you remember how I provided that day? Don't you remember how I provided this day? Don't, 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 weren't you there? Didn't you see? Don't you understand? Are you still hard of hearing, hard of heart? And then the very next story in Mark's gospel is how God provides sight to a blind man. Talk about providing, right? Beautiful story. They came to Bethesda, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? And he looked at him and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. And once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were open, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. And then the very next passage is about Peter confessing Christ. Now, if you really, really want to live in a place where God can provide, you've got to get your priorities straight. God can do the miracle of sight to the blind and bread for the hungry. God can do those kinds of things. But he does it in times when life is put right in the priorities of your own heart. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, other Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked? Who do you say that I am? 
and Peter being the spokesperson for the disciples who had witnessed this, he was there. He saw how Jesus provided. He saw how Jesus provided there. He heard the questions on the boat and right after when Jesus said, what do you mean only one loaf? Huh? And he saw him touch the eyes of the blind man and heal him. And Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the Lord. You are the Messiah. You are the King of Kings. And interestingly, Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him, but they did. They did. And then, Jesus kind of seals the deal in this next part. It says, Jesus began to teach them many things about how the Son of Man must suffer. See, the provision isn't about eliminating suffering. It's about providing in obedience. God doesn't say, I'm going to give you a bed of roses. He says, I'm going to help you walk through whatever journey's ahead, and you'll do it with grace and abundance. There will be plenty for you to have to do what you need to do. He spoke to them plainly about this, and Peter took him aside. And Peter, who still didn't get it, began to rebuke Jesus. Now, I would not have wanted to be around when that was going on, by the way. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet for forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he said to them, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. If we really would come after Jesus... If you really want to be in the hands of the God who provides, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow. I want to apply this in one special way here today, and that is that God does provide. He will provide for you. So many stories of his grace and abundance. But I want you to think for a moment about our world and this neighborhood and people who are just a stone's throw from us here, who are without hope and without a Savior and without the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And have you ever thought about how you are God's provision for them? And you might say, well, I, I'm, I'm kind of nothing, maybe. I'm like, I mean, I got nothing, Jesus. I'm not even a loaf of bread. I'm like a little baguette, you know. I'm nothing. And I would say, well, I don't know exactly what kind of bread you are. 
But I know if you are the kind of bread that is anyone who would come after me must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If that's the kind of bread you are, then God can use you for his honor and glory through the church so that your neighbors and friends can come to know this hope of Jesus. The body of Christ is expressed by people who, we got nothing, (laughs) but we offer it to the one who is everything. And then he says, okay, I can use that. I can do something with that. And, And here's the most amazing thing. He can do it on Sunday. And he can do it on Tuesday, too. Just as proof that God works on Tuesdays, I want to tell one very quick transparent story. Transparent because it's just a little bit about my life. But the pastor was kind enough to share earlier about uh, praying for our son. We have a son, John, one son. He's 20. He'll be 22 next month. He's a handsome devil, I'm telling you. And handsome fits and devil used to kind of thing. I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to to paint a bad picture, but he was kind of in rebellion. Can I just say that? But but through it all, we just decided we were going to love him. And one day, we were going through such a deep, dark valley. We didn't, we actually, for about three weeks' time, we didn't even know where our son was. We couldn't get him on his phone. He was no longer using his Facebook account. Any of the other social media, we couldn't get a hold of him. We had no knowledge of where he was or what he was doing. We actually had to talk to the police about it because we just didn't know. And I cannot begin to tell you, if you've ever been there, I'm telling you, the things that go through a parent's mind, you don't even want to know. And I remember in the midst of all that, it's like, ha, how do I live with this? Can I just say, when you get to moments like that, those are Tuesdays. And so I'm walking in our neighborhood, which is my common practice. And I'm walking and I'm having a conversation with Jesus, which is pretty much something like this. I'm at the end of my rope, Lord. (laughs) Another way to say that is, I got nothing, right? And it was in the midst of that that I heard the Lord whisper this to me. I like the way my friend Kerry Willis says it. He says, it wasn't audible. It was louder than that. Uh-huh. And I heard the Lord say, I've got him. I've got him. Tears still coming down, you know. But only thing I know to tell you is that the peace of Christ showed up on my walk. That's all I can tell you. It was a Tuesday, but it was just like somebody put a shot of Sunday in the middle of it, huh? So 
Fast forward from that time till now, and we just see the hand of God all over what's going on in our son's life. Three weeks later, we got connected back up. You know, God put us back in touch with one another, and he's gone through some journey, but God's brought him on the other side. And just this past week, I was able to pray with him and bless him and speak good into his life. And he's living at our house, and he's gainfully employed, and God's doing good stuff in his life. And he asked last night when he got home, he says, Dad, I've got two of my friends that want to go with me, and we're going to volunteer two days to go work at the campground, the Nazarene campground. Are you okay with that? Uh, Yeah. I would never have predicted that on that Tuesday, right? I'm just saying that even in the things that are the darkest moments, God provides. God provides. So the the application for us here, because really it's kind of twofold. One is, whatever problem you've got, I'm here to tell you that God's bigger and he's enough. And then the other is, whatever reservation you have about using your life for the kingdom of God, you don't have to hold it in reserve because God will use your little as much when you put it in the master's hands. So here's how we're going to close. I want our music people to come back up. Come back up. You, when we were singing this song, I said, we've got to sing that at the close again that we are an offering song. That's so right here, what we're talking about. And uh, hopefully we can have the words on the screen and we can all sing it. And I just want to say that what a joy it is for Cheryl and me to come and be here with you today. We love you. We believe in you. We're grateful for the hand of God, what we see. And we're excited about the days ahead. And uh, I'm going to turn the service over to Pastor Marlon from here, but God bless you, and would you stand as we, as we sing, and you yes. have opportunity to respond. Let's stand and, and sing this song as your prayer to him. If you really want to be that offering, he can take your one loaf and allow it to go way beyond anything you ever expect it to be. Thank you, Dr. Phil, for such a beautiful, stirring message to us. Let's sing together. We lift our voices. We lift our hands. Yeah.